into VBS. And not just VBS, but Worship 180 when we do that, to Sunday School when we do that, which is every Sunday, uh, Children's Church when we do that, which is every Sunday. Uh, and the reason is because our next generation will be one day standing up here where our musicians stand to lead worship, and we want to make sure that they lead biblically accurate worship. And one of these days, some of our youth, maybe in our youth group now or to come, is going to be standing from behind this pulpit to preach, and we want to ensure they preach the full gospel, the whole word of God, without adding to or taking from. And that happens by the training up. So let me just say this one thing. And um, so Alves went to church camp for the very first time this past week, had a great time. She would have stayed a second or a third week if she was offered. She would have just stayed there and had a wonderful time. She is kind of like me. I like being away from home. I, I like doing my own thing. And that's exactly what Alves did. And uh, we asked her, are you ready to be home? Yeah. You know, like... I mean, I'm missing you, girl. You know, like, I'm so excited to see you. Uh, she's, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm ready to come home. Um, but one thing I was asking her about church camp on the way home, because as the preacher, you know, I'm going to ask her, okay, what'd you learn? You know, how, how, how did you grow in your faith? And um, she said something that kind of startled me at first, but the more I sat and thought, the, the more I want to commend our church and all of you youth leaders, youth teachers, that helped walk alongside Michaela and I and all the parents in this place. You know, she said, I really didn't learn anything new. She said, I had a lot of fun and I grew a little bit, but I didn't really learn anything that was new to me. And at first I was kind of startled. I thought, how much did we pay for this? You know, like not me personally, but our church. And, and then I began to think we might be doing a good job. We might be doing a good job here by ensuring our kids know what they need to know and maybe be a little more advanced than some of the kids that do go to church camp. And I just want to commend all of you, if you help in the youth in any capacity, I just want to thank you. Um, I want to thank my wife, of course, and if you're a parent to a kid that's going to camp, if you continue to raise them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, they're going to go to camp and have fun and wonder, boy, I already know all this. Thank God for parents and church and grandparents and aunts and uncles who walk alongside them. So I just want to say thank you to begin and now we will begin our discussion, and I only have five or six or seven or eight pages here uh, to work through. No, I'm just kidding. I only got five and a half, and the reason I have five and a half is because there was so much inside of my head going on at the same time that I had to write it all down because what happens is I forget things. If I don't put things on paper, I forget everything. I don't know if that's just part of manhood and not really caring what my wife tells me to remember and I just don't, or if it just happens because I'm getting older. One of the things that I like to do is I love to go to Walmart. I love to go to Walmart and get exactly what I have on my list. I don't want to go to Walmart empty-handed, have no idea what we're doing because that turns into a very dangerous task. It turns into a very expensive trip. But if Michaela and I talk about, hey, we're going to Walmart, we have a shared note on our phones in which I can contribute to at any time, she can contribute to at any time. If it's not on the list, guess what? I ain't getting it. Because if my wife tells me, hey, I need you to go to Walmart, get the list plus this, guess what it's not gotten? The plus. Because everything I need is on the note. Everything I need is recorded. And that's kind of where I'm at today with this message. So we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 3. So if you have your Bible there, and we're going to be kind of addressing two questions at the same time. One of the questions that was posted in our group, posed in, posted in our group 
was how do we kind of, or how do we discern the voice of God in our own thoughts, our own direction versus God's guidance? And we're also going to combine that with how do you know your calling in life? Have you ever asked yourself, what is my calling? Have you ever asked it? Just raise your hand. If you ever wondered, what have I been put on this earth to do? What have, have, what have you been put on this earth to do? Now we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 3. But I will warn you, we're going to read just one verse in the Gospel of Matthew, and then we're going to reference different verses and different stories, but we're going to really be reading out of 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So this is Samuel. If you remember the story of Samuel, he was the one that would anoint the first king or appoint the first king, uh, Saul, and then he would go to Jesse's house later on and anoint King David. This is a prophet of God used in many powerful ways, and he was a, a prophet that was prayed for by his mother. And his mother was unable to conceive children. Therefore, she longed and longed and longed and was actually provoked by her husband's other wife because she could not bear children. Therefore, Hannah prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and was able over time to bear this son and she committed him to the Lord. So he is now in an apprenticeship, if you could call it that, as a young boy with the uh, priest and the prophet or the judge Eli, Eli. And Eli had two sons who were horrible kids, horrible adults, horrible men who were doing very heinous things in the temple. They were abusing their power. They were assaulting people. Uh, it was just a horrible time. And then we have this young boy named Samuel. And then we're going to read a little bit of his story. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. At the time, Eli, whose sight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God has, had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of, the, uh, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Go lie down again. So he went and he lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, my son. Go lie down again. Any parents get, can relate to this? You know, their kids are running to the door. I got to go to the bathroom. You know, I, I, I need a drink of water. I need a snack. You know, I was reading this and kind of got a humorous side to it because I and woke up sometimes throughout the night because the kids got to go to the bathroom. And then 12 minutes later, they need a drink of water. You know, so Eli's telling this young boy, hey, just go lay down. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which... The two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end. What he was speaking was that he was not going to forgive the house of Eli. So this young boy is called by God, not just once, twice, 
three times, but a fourth time. And it was not until the fourth time that Eli figured out what he shall do, how he shall respond to this calling. First three times, he runs to Eli. He thinks Eli's calling him. He realizes he's not. He goes to lay down again. God calls him again. God calls him again. God calls him again. And a fourth time, after he is told by a very corrupt prophet, a corrupt judge, Eli, a corrupt priest and leader of the people, to go and lay down, this corrupt man is actually the one that points Samuel to understand God's calling on his life. Now, in this story, God clearly communicates with Samuel what he is going to do, what he's going to address, how God's going to speak to him and through him, and what it is that he is going to convey to not just to Eli, but for the people. Do you remember the story of Moses and the burning bush? How Moses is out tending to the, to the flock of his father-in-law, and he sees the burning bush, but the bush is not consumed. So he's drawn to, and he goes, and it's God appearing to him in a burning bush. And he tells Moses, what do you tell him? You're going to go let my people go, right? You're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to command of him to let my people go. So he's given a very detailed you know, itinerary, this is where you're going to go. This is who you're going to take with you. Moses fights with him. I'm not good at speaking. I have, you know, a stuttering problem. I can't speak well. Okay, so here's your brother. Take your brother. You're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to get my people out of there. Maybe you remember the story of Jonah. Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh. And God tells him, hey, you're going to go and you're going to preach to them that if they do not repent, if they do not turn from their evil ways, a great destruction is coming their way. We all know the story of Jonah. Jonah ended up running away. But nonetheless, he was given a very detailed itinerary of where he was going and what he would be doing. And almost like Samuel, these guys, and there's others throughout the Old Testament, we can read over and over accounts in Isaiah or Jeremiah of people who were given very detailed you know, itineraries of where they were going to go when God called them to do this. But then we also read about Abraham. Father Abraham was told by God to do what? To leave his father's home and to go into a land in which he would show him. He didn't have these detailed descriptions and this itinerary. So the question is, have we ever asked ourselves, what is our calling? What is your calling? Now, here's what blows my mind and what may put it a little bit easier and hopefully calm you a little bit when we discuss this. If you turn your Bible over to Matthew chapter 8, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 9, you read an account in which Jesus calls Matthew. Jesus calls Matthew from a tax booth in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him what? What did he say to him? Anybody have it? Follow me. This is a very vague calling, is it not? Hey, I'm going to call you to do what? Follow me. So there is a very distinct difference between the calling of Samuel and the calling of Matthew. So now we have no elaborate description of where Matthew's going to travel to, who he's going to speak to, what he's going to do, other than what? Following Jesus. This is how he calls 
Matthew. I mean, God in flesh. You would think he's going to say, okay, Matthew, here's what I'm going to send you. Here's what you're going to do. Wouldn't it be nice if God would appear to us on our annual checkups? You know, we make, some of you may go to the doctor every year and they check your weight and your height and, and your cholesterol and your blood pressure, all of these things. Wouldn't it be really nice for God to appear to us just once a year? And just kind of communicate, hey, this is what I want you to do over the next year. This is what you did this past year. Here's a summary of your good things, your bad things. Here's where I'm leading you to next year. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, if he could appear, it doesn't even have to be in a, you know, a fiery bush that's on fire but not consumed. Just, just something to clearly communicate to me where it is that he is leading me to go. Let me pose this question. Have you ever wondered what you should do next when it comes to what college do we enroll in? What career path do I pursue? What degree should I chase? What home should we build or where, where should we live? What should we buy? I mean, what ministry opportunities should I actually be involved in? What outreaches should I surrender and serve to? Should I preach? Should I teach? Should I sing? I mean, what is it that I should do for the Lord? Now, we all have this concept of a calling. But may I pose this question? I'm going to have to read it word for word or I might mess it up. So the first question I ask, have you ever wondered what your calling is? The second question I want to pose to you is this. Could it be that you and I have allowed a self-centered culture to manipulate us into thinking that God has a very specific calling that actually becomes more about us than it does him? Could it be that we have allowed a self-centered culture to manipulate us into thinking that God has a very specific calling that is actually becoming more about us than it is about him. And this is where we get into a challenge and complication of our calling. If you and I aren't careful, we will live our life going through the motions with where God has placed us at right now, awaiting this grand voice from heaven to come down and to guide our path and to tell us exactly where to go and exactly what to do and exactly what ministry we should serve in and exactly what person we should marry and exactly what job we should apply for and exactly what town we should live in and exactly what house we should buy. I mean, we've all been there. I was young and I was praying, okay, God, where, where is it that you're going to lead me? Anywhere but Potosi. I mean, any, anything but preaching. And he said, oh, funny, we'll put them both together. But I can remember thinking as Michaela and I were first married, okay, God, where is it that you want me to serve? So I served in the middle school ministry, and three weeks later, I realized that is not for me. All right, these little heathen kids are running all over the place in North Carolina, and they're jumping off vending machines. And I said, thank you, Jesus, but now I'm not doing that. So I walked away. Surely there are more qualified people. There will be bigger crowns in heaven for those people that lead the youth. I promise you that. Youth leaders will have a bigger crown, I think, one of these days. So I'm praying, okay, God, what is it? I'm, gonna, I'm praying for where is God calling me? I'm getting out of the Marine Corps. I'm transitioning out. I'm going to these classes to help me be a normal, civilized person like I'm not already, you know. And they're trying to transition us out of the military life into civilian life. And everybody's happy. And I'm happy. I'm getting out. And I can remember praying, God, where is it you want me to go? Because my plan was I'm a huge college basketball fan. I loved it. That's why I chose to be stationed in North Carolina so I could go watch Duke versus North Carolina. I loved Coach K. I hated Duke and I loved uh, North Carolina. And here I am. I have been studying these college coaches. I've been watching their YouTubes. I'm going to be the next Coach K. 
because my last name starts with K. I'm going to be the real Coach K one day. You know, I'm going to make Coach K be me. So my plan was I was going to get out and I was going to coach basketball. I was going to work my way up, coach college basketball, most likely at a Division One, make tons of money. That didn't happen, right? That <laughs> didn't happen. But I can remember praying and praying and thinking and praying and longing to know with a very detailed description of where I will go and what I would do. And it wasn't until I was on my way to Dollar General one night because my wife was pregnant and had these wild cravings and I had to run for her and get her some root beer um, that it was like the Lord spoke to me, but not in an audible voice. It was much more than that in which I believe he asked me if I would truly follow him. If I would truly follow him wherever it may be. I had no idea. I just remember weeping and worshiping in my car on my way to Dollar General, walking in, you know, just, you know, like this. And I'm just walking in and I just remember weeping and worshiping the Lord. But if I wasn't careful, I would have just gone through the motions and missed out on where God was calling me to go. So what if your greatest calling on this earth was to do exactly what Jesus told Matthew to do, to follow him? What, what if your greatest and my greatest calling on this earth was to actually just follow him? Now, do you need a very detailed description of how that, how that calling will look like in your life? Let me give it to you. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in which the Bible tells us to go and to make disciples of all people into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and instructing them to observe all that Jesus commanded his people. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He tells his disciples, his closest followers, he says, look, when the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you to be my witnesses, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and then all the ends of the earth. What if our greatest calling in life is much more about what house we should buy, what community we should live in, but really it's actually very simple and we all share the same purpose in our calling, which is what? To follow Christ and to be his witness on the earth. What if that is our greatest calling? Now, here's the difference. If you and I share the same calling and purpose, we will be gifted differently in our passions, and we will be placed in different positions in which our gifts and our our passions, our gifts that God has given to us, and the positions in which he places us in are the avenues in which this calling actually comes forth. God gifts you differently than he has gifted me. God has gifted me in different ways than he has gifted you. But here's where we all come together. Michaela and I have the same calling. Did you know that? I believe we have the same calling and purpose. Her purpose in this life is to follow Christ and to be his witness. My calling in this life is to follow Christ and to be his witness on the earth, to be a constant reflection of Christ in any position he puts me in to be a follower of Christ with whatever passion and desires he has given to me. So if I take delight in the Lord, he will give me the desires of my heart. That does not mean he's going to grant all of my wishes. As I take delight in the Lord, he's going to actually implant within me desires that long to know him, follow him, serve him, and worship him more. So when Michaela and I have the same calling and purpose, but we are gifted vastly different. So here's what I want you to consider. How are you gifted and in which gifts has God given to you to allow this calling to come forth? That is your avenue 
to allow this calling to truly come forth. Because here is the danger of it. We will long so much to know, okay, God, we, we want this. And here's, where, here's why I say if we aren't careful, we will allow a self-centered culture to manipulate us because what we will do is we will believe that our calling from God is something grand. It requires a platform or some kind of clout or social media following. Here's the thing. Just because you don't have a pulpit or a platform or a social following does not diminish the call that God has for you. It does not diminish the work that you are capable of doing. It doesn't diminish the impact that you make on the world. So if you, are, if you have one person in your life or if you have 10,000 people in your life, your calling is the same. It is to follow Christ and to be his witness to that one person or to those 10,000 people. So here's what I mean by that. Not all of us are going to be worship leaders. Clearly, God did not bless me in that capacity. Do I have a passion to worship? Certainly. Does Brian have a passion to worship? Certainly. Does Dave and Tanya and Tim and all of our, Cheryl and all of our personnel, Kinley, have a passion to worship? Certainly. They're gifted. I'm not. Right? Amen. (laughs) I know I'm not gifted in that capacity. I'm not in a position to lead music. Why? Because my passion does not always meet my performance and the position in which God has given to me. But when it comes to preaching and teaching, or pastoring people, or counseling people, or trying to guide people. I believe that God has called me and gifted me into that position. So here's what we have to do. We have to look at the passions, or the desires, or the gifts that God has given us, and we have to align them with the positions that God has placed us in. And when we do that, we will actually see the call of God come to pass in our life. So when I was getting out of the Marine Corps and I began to have this desire within my heart and soul to preach the gospel, I longed to see people saved. That's what I desired. When I was getting out, I loved to coach basketball. Therefore, I coached my daughter's basketball team. But my true burning desire inside of my heart, the the desires that God had given to me in my heart was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to see people set free. Why? Because I was And I just had this great passion to do that. So my prayer was this, God, if it is your calling for me, if it is your gifting for me to preach the gospel and to pastor people, open the door. If it is not your calling, if it is not your will for me to preach the gospel, shut every door before it ever opens. So I'm leaving North Carolina, and I can remember praying this over and over and over. And we're going to a church of, you know, 2,400 people. And I remember my very first time preaching, I put all six people to sleep. I was good. You know, I was really good. Um, And I can remember Michaela sitting in the back of the church, this old church in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. All six people, all asleep. She's just back there rocking little baby albs and just smiling at me. I don't know if she felt sorry for me or if she was happy to be there. But I can remember telling her, I will never do this again. Clearly, God did not call me. See, because what happens is we fall into this comparison trap because I saw my pastor preaching to thousands of people and I couldn't keep six people awake and focused. So I began to compare my position to his. God did not gift me like he gifted him. 
God did not gift you like other people. So what happens is if we aren't careful, we will believe that our calling is actually about us becoming into a position or a platform and it actually becomes about us. And then we will look at other people who have a bigger platform or maybe a bigger impact. And then we will compare ourselves to that and think, well, I must not have the faith. I must not have the flavor. (laughs) I must not have the favor of the Lord upon me like they do. But that becomes self-centered, doesn't it? Because we make it about us. We make it about how many people we're reaching, how many people are following us on social media, how many people attend our church. And I can remember thinking to myself, I'll never do this again because surely if God was calling me to do this, more than one person would stay awake. But I can remember Michaela just encouraging me. And I can remember over time, things got a little bit better. I remember over time, things began a little, became a little bit easier. And I can just remember over time, just growing in this peace of where I was at and content. And if I was preaching to six people or 6,000 people, I was going to give to them what God has called me to do. The position and the passions had to match in order for the calling of God to come to fruition. So, I pose this question for you today to consider the positions that God has placed you in. Because if we're looking for some grand calling from God, you may miss out on the calling around you. You may miss out on the kids that God's just called you to raise. You may miss out on the four people that God's called you to minister to. You may miss out on the six people that God's called you to preach to. You may miss out on the very common things in your life that God is calling you to work. So all of us are positioned in one capacity or another. And here's what I've learned about our positions and our passions. They must change over time. See, at one point I wasn't married. At one time, Michaela and I were not married, but then we became a married couple. Therefore, my position is now changed and my passions must follow and align with that new position. I couldn't marry Michaela and love her like Christ loved the church, but then live as a bachelor on the side. So my position came with new passions. Then we ended up getting pregnant with Aubs. And some of you may become spouses and some of you may become parents. And whenever you become parents, you are now put into a new position and you have to have new passions in order to truly operate as God's called you to operate in that new position. Some of you may become preachers grandparents, teachers, employees, employers, employers, or retired. But nonetheless, you are positioned somewhere to work on behalf of the Lord. It may not look big in your eyes. It may not be as big as what someone else is able to do, but do not neglect the positions that God has placed you in because if it is just raising your kids to know the Lord, that would be your calling. If it's being a light in the workplace so that other people can see joy and peace in you that they do not possess, that is you operating in your calling. Not every calling is about exalting you above other people. All of our callings and purpose is the same thing, to follow Christ there, to follow Christ in my parenting, to follow Christ in my marriage. So my pursuit and following of Christ will actually dictate my conduct in the positions that God has placed me in and will compel me to be a greater and greater reflection of Christ there. In my marriage, I am to love Michaela as Christ loved the church. Here's the other thing that I've come to learn as I've gotten older. You know, you get wiser as you get older. 
I can't wait to be in my like 50s and 60s. I'm going to be the smartest guy ever because I'm really dumb in my 20s and 30s. But I've also come to realize that I don't just have one calling. This is not it for me. I am called to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I am called to raise up my children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I am called to preach the gospel, but to also shepherd people. I am called to be a light in my workplace. I am called. It's not just one calling. You don't just have one calling. Every position that God's placed you in is for one purpose, to follow him and to be his witness and to reflect him. So how do we know this? Because you may be thinking, well, ah, this is really confusing. You're saying a whole lot, but I'm not getting anywhere. You may be thinking, well, I really don't know what God has called me to do. I'm telling you, God has called you to follow Christ and to be his witness. If it's in preaching, it's in preaching. If it's in just in marriage, it's in marriage. If it's raising kids, it's in raising kids. If it's homesteading, it's homesteading. If it's a, as a teacher in the school system, it's a teacher in the school. If it's a mechanic, if it's a janitor, if it's a retiree, that's where God's called you to work but you do it in the same purpose, to be a follower of him and to be his witness. So let me go back to 1 Samuel chapter 3, and I'll end with this. Because in order for you to truly come to understand the passions, the desires that God has given you, and to recognize the positions that God has placed you in, it all begins with your posture being one of Samuel. Do you remember where Samuel was when God called him? He was laying in bed asleep. Now, I'm not saying when you go to bed at night, God's going to wake you up and reveal to you all of your life's plans. But whenever you lay down and go to sleep, are you loud or are you quiet? Some of you might be loud <laughs> because you snore. But I mean, ideally, are you talking a lot? Probably not. Are you focused on other things when you're asleep? Probably not unless you're dreaming. Are you scrolling through your phone at 100 miles an hour or listening to all these voices on the television or, or hearing all these other people? No, no, no. You're literally laying in bed asleep. So Eli tells him, go lay down. And when, if he comes again and calls you again, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So this is what I want to pose to you today. Have you allowed yourself to slow down to the point and to be silent enough to allow God's voice to be heard? Or have you continued to just live chasing and chasing and chasing and moving at such a rapid pace that your clarity of your calling is so confusing because you have yet to slow yourself down to the point in which you say to the Lord, here I am, Lord, speak for your servant hears. We cannot hear the voice in the direction of God if you and I chase and chase and chase and run at such a rapid pace in life to where we have no time to just sit and dwell in the presence of the Lord to allow the voice of God to be clearly heard in our hearts and souls. So for you today, have you found yourself in the correct posture it's not until we find ourselves in the correct posture that we begin to identify the passions that God has gifted us and we recognize the positions that God has placed us in. Let's pray.